0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here today. We, we are one church in two locations. If you didn't know, we have a, a Knoxville location that is meeting today as well. Uh, and I'm excited about what God is doing there. If you've got a Bible, go to Revelation 20. Excited about next Sunday. It is Southern Sunday. And so if you are new to FC or maybe forgot what that is about, first of all, I'm going to be making my famous cookie butter pie and I challenge you to beat me. I don't think it can happen, uh, but uh, you can try. You can make one or, man, you can just go buy one so that we can all eat pie next week. I don't care. Uh, but I hope that you will. It's going to be a lot of fun. Bring a friend that, that needs to hear some hope. Uh, bring a friend that needs to, to hear the gospel. Uh, we've got a guest figure that you're going to enjoy. It's going to be a lot of fun and uh, just going to be a, a day that we can enjoy the gospel, have a lot of fun together, and uh, eat some good food. Um, One of the reasons why we do that is we want to see people hear the gospel. We want to see people receive Jesus uh, because we want people to get saved and go to heaven. Is that that what we want, right? You excited about that? We want people to experience the gospel, to experience the freedom that we have in Christ and, and enjoy heaven one day with us and uh, that brings a a really good question uh, that I want to wrestle with today and that is who's going to heaven I mean I've never met anybody who thinks that they're not going to heaven have you it's like I've never met a teenager a college student you know living like the devil I've never met an an adult living you know like the, the the prodigal life or whatever just you know doing whatever they want I've never even met them who would say that you know oh no I'm not going to heaven everybody thinks that they're going to heaven. Even, even somebody who like, I don't even believe in God, but if there is a heaven, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna go. That, that's kind of the typical view. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Um, if you didn't know, I was born right outside of Columbus, Ohio. And so my mom and dad born and raised that, in that area. So they love, now don't, don't hate me when I say this, but they love the Ohio State Buckeyes. Like they, there's a couple in the room, okay. So, so I was I was raised like all the way up till 12, like rooting for the Buckeyes. And so I've I've since met Jesus, and I live in Knoxville. And I, <laughs> I was at the game yesterday again. I think I'm I think I'm the lucky you know token for for the year. So anyway. Um, we, we, my, my mom had passed away, my dad wanted to go see some family and just kind of have a nostalgic tour of, of his hometown, right? And so uh, he wanted us to go up there and so my, myself and my brother and my two sisters went and, and uh, he got tickets to uh, the, the Buckeyes game. And so this was my first game ever. And so um, I, I, we go do all the, all the stuff, all the pre-game stuff, right, a lot of tradition like here in Knoxville. And so we go to this thing, it's called the Skull Sessions, it's like the Stokely Center at UT, it's like the old gymnasium, and so it's got that old vibe, and uh, the, the team comes in, the place gets packed out, this is all before the game starts, and uh, the, the, the cheerleaders come in, they do chants, everybody cheers and chants, they play the drums, they do the whole band thing, and then the coach talks for a while, and uh, it's just really exciting. And then at the, at the end, they, they do what's essentially the, the vol walk to the stadium. And so towards the end of that, uh, I, we, we decide, hey, let's get out of here to beat the crowd, right? And so we start to walk out. Uh, before it's actually over, but in, in, as we were coming down the steps, we just kind of met. This was when Urban Meyer was the coach. We're walking to the door to kind of leave and get out first, and Coach Urban is right there. <laughs> we're like, oh, well, we better, we better wait here. And then all of a sudden, all the players are there. So we're like, oh, okay, well, this is cool. We'll let them go. And, and as they're going, you know, we're talking and we're hanging out. And then it was so chaotic. Me and my brother just started walking with the team. And, uh, we lost my other family members, and we were just kind of enamored with the whole thing. Like we just felt like we belonged there, and so we just started walking with the team. Well, as we're you know uh, excited and walking, all of a sudden we realize that we are in the parade <laughs> with the coaches, the players, and the special guests. Like the, the the streets are lined with fans. Imagine the vol walk and Trent walking down the ball walk right with the coaches and the players well that's where we found ourselves and when we realized what we had done by accident we said forget it let's just roll with it (laughs) so we just kept walking Uh, Brutus the Buckeyes running around high-fiving us and the fans are high-fiving the players the fans are high-fiving me (laughs) me and Todd we're we're walking down high-fiving them and we just kept walking you know, I just kind of learned that if you just act like you belong, nobody tends to ask you what you're doing there, right? So here we are, you know, this amazing experience. And now we're about 10, 15 yards from the stadium. And we think, oh my gosh, we're getting ready to walk in on the field. Like, this is amazing, right? This is a dream come true. We're going to be hanging out with Urban and all the players on the field. And we just kept walking and high-fiving people and laughing and smiling. And, 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 and right as we get to the door, I'm telling you, my foot is in the door frame and the guy at the door, the guard, he puts his hand on, the, on, on, on my shoulder and he goes, hey, who are you? And I go, I'm Trent. <laughs> he says, get out of here, man. <laughs> that was it. That was it. We were close. I was so close. But the experience is something that me and my brother laugh about all the time. We think about that day and, and what's... What's funny about that story, and I guess it's kind of not funny about that story, how I can relate it to our time today, is that some of you are, are, are a lot like me in that scenario. No, you are not trying to get into a stadium, but you think that you're going to get into heaven. And you see, you think that if I just walk with all the other people and I just kind of act like I look like them and I kind of act like them And and, and I can kind of blend in that there's going to be something that is special about you. And that on your own, you're just going to get to the gates of heaven and they're just going to let you in. But unfortunately, some of you are lying to yourselves. Like me, you're just faking it. You're, you're, You're pretending. You're pretending that you belong. You're pretending that you are on the right path. And in, in, in without faith in Jesus, if you're not honest with yourself, you're going to get to that door and they're going to say, who are you? Get out of here. It'll be the most devastating day in your entire life. So the question is, who gets to go to heaven? And so that's what we want to focus on today in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 to 8. Let's begin as we discover and learn how it's going to end. He says, and when the thousand years had ended... Remember last week, millennial reign, heaven on earth, right? We spend on earth in this 1,000 year period, Satan is bound, but then in verse seven, Satan will be released from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So, so what's happening at this point, after the millennial reign that we, if you missed last week, go back, listen to the message. Satan is then released, and then he deceives the nations. You say, who is he deceiving? I thought this was heaven on earth. Well, apparently there are people that survive Armageddon. They have children, and so there are thousands and thousands of people that now the enemy is uh, able to deceive and, and then begin to form an alliance and... And then this final kind of, at the end, uh, he is able to gather this army and fight against the people of God. It's hard to believe. You're thinking, how could these people be so stupid? Like, this is like, how, you know, how could this happen? And I just want to remind you that there are some people in the room who are deceived. Some people in the room who are deceived about where they're going to spend eternity, There's some people confused about some of the things that they're into today. They think that they're having fun. They think that they're getting away with things. They think that sin is is a good thing, right? So even now there's deception. So just make sure we understand that that deception is still very possible. Gog and Magog are are, are these titles. A lot of, you know, sign chasers kind of look at this as, oh, that's just Russia. And and then we don't really know. I think the point is that the odds are stacked against the people of God here. Their, their number is more than the sands of the sea. So they are deceived. They are coming after the people of God. And then verse nine. And then they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the Christians and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And when the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So right when the battle was about to begin, right, God sends fire and destroys the entire uh, evil army set against the saints. So at that point, Satan is then thrown into the lake of fire. He says to be tormented day and night. This is how it ends. Let's keep going. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne, Each one of them, according to what they had done, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a very sobering passage, very um, heavy passage. At funerals, people often are asking the question, well, where is my grandmother where is my grandfather? Where where is this person right now? And and funerals tend to get our minds focused on the end, and and uh, it's a it's a very valid question, right? And and in fact, I think all of us should should really ask this question: What happens when a person dies? Like, what is what is happening uh, to unbelievers? What what is happening to uh, believers? In that very moment, uh, this is what is called the intermediate state before this final judgment, before the second coming of Christ that we've talked about. Like what happens in this intermediate state when someone passes away and then before the second coming occurs? Well, for believers, the scripture is clear. When we die from this earth, we, we die and we immediately wait to be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the soul of the believer awakes to be in the presence of Jesus and then remains there until the second coming. And after the second coming, remember last week, the dead in Christ rise. The soul is then reunited with a glorified body in that moment. Thousand year millennial reign takes place. And then the final judgment. For someone who rejects Jesus, they go to a place the Bible calls Hades. In verse 13 here, it says, death and Hades gave up the dead who are in them. So the Bible uses two Greek words used to describe hell. The first is Hades and the second is Gehenna. Hades is this place that, that if an unbeliever dies, they would spend this place, it's still what we would consider hell, in Hades, in this intermediate state, until they are resurrected at the final judgment. And then at the final judgment, what we read here is this lake of fire, this description of, of, of isolation and torment and, and, and pain and judgment for those who reject Jesus. And the lake of fire is... The, it comes from this idea of Gehenna now some people will, will say well Gehenna is a real place outside of Jerusalem they burnt trash there and it was just a place and and uh sure people after a thousand years after Jesus that kind of developed but but there's no real concept of that in Jesus's day and and uh the, the idea here that Jesus is, is teaching us is that this is a real place is a place of a conscience state because when the Bible says they will be tormented that means that they will Literally have a conscience understanding of where they're at and what is happening to them. And so in this very real place, they will spend eternity. And so he says this is what is happening at this great white throne judgment. He comes back, right, defeats, raises those who are dead. Death and Hades are, 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 are relieving and giving up the dead to be judged here at the great white throne. Now, so what is happening at this great white throne. And so a couple of things. First of all, unbelievers are judged by God. This is not a place where believers will be. So as believers, we don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment, but those without faith will stand before Christ at this judgment. Uh, unbelievers are judged. Hebrews 9:27 says, and "just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment." Acts 17, 31 says he has fixed the day on which he would judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So the unbelievers will be judged. In verse 12, he says a books will be opened. Two sets of books. The book of life will be opened. And those names that are written in the book of life are those who have faith in Jesus, evidenced by their faith and good works that they live during this life. The other book that is open is the book of records. the book of records contains every single sin an unbeliever has committed. And as they stand before God at this great white throne judgment, they will be judged by their actions. Every evil thought, every evil deed, every lustful thought, right? Every lie, every every, uh, thing that they stole, every evil um, action will be laid bare before God. And the final basis of their judgment is their rejection of Jesus Christ as their Lord. And some of you would say, well, I'm not rejecting him. I mean, I, I'm not rejecting him. And I want to be clear. You are rejecting Jesus if you are not faithfully living for him as your Lord and Savior today. Some of you are banking on a prayer that you prayed when you were seven years old. You've been living like Satan ever since. And I want to warn you today that just because you were baptized or some preacher said that you are going to heaven now does not mean that you are. So when we read the scripture here today, let the weight of the reality of this judgment take hold of your soul. Book of records will hold us accountable. It means every action will be held accountable. It means that as believers today, We don't need to get back at people. We don't need to bring our vengeance upon them because they will be held accountable. And on this day, they will. So the question is, what are we doing with Jesus today? What are you doing with Jesus today? You living for him or are you ignoring him? You living for him or are you rejecting him as Lord? And and, and, and the ultimate question is, is our name written in the book of life? Because those names written in the book of life will experience heaven, but unbelievers will pay for their own sins. Secondly, what we see here is that this punishment is actually permanent. He says for eternity, um, those without faith will spend an eternity forever in this place called Gehenna. This is the second death that he speaks of. When a person dies from this world, this is the first death. Followers of Jesus don't experience the second death. We experience eternal life. Those without faith would experience this second death. And, and, and so the question is, okay, if this is where believers go, what about Christians? Aren't we going to be judged? What, what, is, what does that look like? I thought I was going to have to be judged. It's, it's, it's in a different setting, okay? So Christians give an account, but when we stand before God, we stand imputed with the righteousness of Christ he paid for our sins so we don't we don't pay for our sins because we've received him as our Lord and Savior our sins have been forgiven and so when we stand before God we give an account of our life but that is in order to receive the rewards that he will give to us in heaven so the Greek word for this judgment is the word bima and so maybe you've heard this uh, idea the bima seat And so this simply means that as Christians, yes, we will stand before God, but it will be an account of what did we do with the gifts, the resources, the money, the talent, the opportunities that God gave to us. And based upon that, he will reward us. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Romans 14 10 why do you pass judgment on your brother or you why do you despise your brother for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God so again this is for believers to receive the reward that God has for us so the good work that you do during this life isn't for nothing you will receive a reward it doesn't go unseen you'll receive the rewards in heaven based on your service so who goes to heaven who goes to heaven Scripture is clear. Only those who have by faith received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they live their life dedicated to Him. Doesn't mean they live a perfect life, but it means it's a dedicated life to live for Jesus. Fakers, pretenders, Guys that just looked the part or guys that are, you know, sometimes walk the, the path that everybody else walks as, as, as Christians. No, 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 no. Those who have surrendered their life to Jesus and those who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you and I will experience those reward in heaven. So again, who gets to go to heaven? Those who have faith in Jesus. Well, what's heaven going to be like? Is it even worth it? Well, let's talk about that. Here's what he says in Revelation 21, flip over a page in your scripture. And he says, "'Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, "'for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away "'and the sea was no more. "'And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, "'coming down out of heaven from God, "'prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. "'And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "'Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. "'He will dwell with them.'" I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death." And then in verses 22 to 27, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. It will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is heaven. John Newton, uh, the famous songwriter that wrote Amazing Grace, he said there's going to be at least three marvels when we get to heaven, three things that we're going to marvel at. And the first thing we're going to marvel at is you're going to see people that you didn't expect there. (laughs) Oh, man, wow, didn't expect you to be here, (laughs) right? Right? And then there's going to be some people there, not there, that you thought you'd see there. It's going to be a little interesting. And then the third marvel is that you actually made it there, (laughs) right? How in the world did we deserve this? Well, we don't. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus gives it to us by faith. So here's what we know about heaven, what we just read. We know that everything is new. Everything is new it's not just going to be refurbished or a new coat of paint on it. Um, my wife and I, we love to flip houses. We like to take old things and, and make them look nice. And so uh, we, we, we took this, night, this house that was built in the 1950s. It was the hardest thing we've ever done. I don't think I'll ever do it again. But we, you know, we redid the floors and sanded floors and baseboards and fixed drywall and took out tubs and put showers in and took out old cabinets and put new cabinets in and did floors and did new paint and the whole thing just looked beautiful and outside we painted and knew this and knew that right at the end of the day it was still a 1950s house (laughs) but it looked refurbished and nice and, and, and then you couple that with, you ever walked into a, like a brand new house that just got finished? Like the builders just, you know, the clean like baseboards that don't have any edges that are kind of like off center or whatever. And, and it was it's just this fresh and you got this fresh paint. There's no dents or scratches. All the appliances are new. The air conditioner, the, the vents are, everything smells great, right? It's just like, oh man, I love this new fresh place, right? You see, in heaven, it's not going to be a fresh coat of paint. (laughs) It's not going to be an old place, you know, kind of upgraded. It's going to be brand spanking new. In verse 5, he says, I make all things new. It will be a new heaven and a new earth. It's not going to be renovated. It will be brand new. In fact, he says in verse 23 that there's not going to be a sun or moon. Like, oh man, great. No more sunscreen, right? Don't have to worry about that. Why? He says, well, the glory of God is going to give its light. Right? He says there's not going to be a sea. There, no more ocean. Some of you are going to be upset about that. Oh, man, I wanted the ocean. I like the ocean. That's like the best place, right? Well, for the first century uh, Christian or first century person, the ocean was a very scary place, right? Earlier in the book of Revelation, you, you, he talks about these beasts coming out of the ocean, right? And so there are monsters in the ocean. There's storms in the ocean. And so we stay away from beasts very scary bad place right and so I think the idea here is not necessarily there's not going to be water in chapter 22 he talks about the the river of life and so there's probably going to be bodies of water but there's not going to be maybe this this idea of like this uh, uh, you know salt water you know that covers the majority of of the planet or whatever and so the idea is that look uh, perhaps there's going to be some bodies of water but the idea is that evil is gone we're not going to have any, any, any worries about the ocean or those bad storms or anything scary coming out of the water there. Suffering is over. No anxiety or fear. Nothing to worry about, I think, is the point. And then in chapter 21, verse 2, he talks about this new city coming out of heaven, this new Jerusalem. In verses 9 through 21, we didn't read it, but he talks about all the dimensions of this great city and how beautiful it is, how it's made of gold and jewels and it's massive and it's and it's just a special place in heaven and ultimately I think what it teaches us is that heaven is actually a place it's not a state of mind you know it's not this idea that some people have like we're going to be floating around on clouds playing harps and you know just kind of sitting by the ocean and not doing anything all day that is not what it's going to be like at all it's going to be a physical place where we live and everything will be new and in this new place secondly We'll have the comfort of Jesus, the comfort of Jesus. Now think about it for a minute. Um, It's fall in Tennessee and uh, my wife loves the fall weather. I'm more of a summer guy. I like the the hot weather, but she loves the fall. And so the cool nights and the the cold, crisp air, man, she loves it. And you know what she loves about it the most? What she loves the most about these cool, cold fall nights is big old fluffy sweatshirts and fluffy sweatpants and big old fluffy blankets and she like stacks 10 blankets on herself and a warm cup of cocoa and and, you know the fireplace rolling and man that's what she loves she loves the the comfy clothes the comfy blankets does he any ladies like what I'm talking about all right you're with me she loves that stuff right and, and, and so the, the thing about comfort is in heaven, we, we're going to have this, this enormous amount of comfort that we can't even comprehend right now. We love to be comfortable. Think about so much of our life is about finding comfort. We, we, we want to be comfortable, right? And so, you know, it's, 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 it's a problem, though, because in life we experience uncomfortableness all the time. All the time we're uncomfortable. Maybe it's money problems. Maybe it's um, work problems. Uh, because of sin, we have relational problems. And all of these problems bring uh, an uncomfortableness to our life. And so it's, it feels like we're always uncomfortable. And then what do we do? What, what we want is we want to retreat to the living room or the man cave or, or the bedroom. We want to retreat to vacations. Why? To get away. Why? We want to be comfortable. We want to be around comfortable people and no uncomfortable people. We want to be in a comfortable weather setting with comfortable people with no stress. And for a week, we don't want to think about our problems. We don't want to think about our bills. Why? Because we are drawn to this idea of feeling comfort. But listen, in heaven, it will be the ultimate place of comfort because you and I will finally rest in this perfect personal relationship with our creator, Jesus Christ. He will be with us. We will experience him in this fullest sense. Verse three says, God will be with us. He will dwell with us. And that means he's living with us, right? Think about this comfort that he will bring to us. No more fear, no more anxiety. We'll be comfortable in our own skin. Right? We're going to experience this new city coming down from heaven. In verse 10, he talks about this, right? That means it's a real place, a new body, new place, new place for us to live. We're going to, we talked about it. We're going to eat there. We're going to enjoy food. We're going to enjoy relationships. We're going to hug each other. We're going to recognize each other. This is going to be a place where we laugh and where we, yes, we work, but it's not going to be like work here and now it's going to be like enjoyable can't wait to do this no night right there's no need to go to sleep we're going to be awake and, and that excites me I don't know about you but I hate going to sleep at night some of you are like man that's the greatest time of you know my day is when I get to go to sleep we won't need sleep we won't need to rest because we will be living in the perfect rest of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ it's going to be an amazing place See, all of us, we're longing for this place. Deep within us, we are longing for this home. We're longing for a home of comfort. We're longing for this family with no turmoil, with, 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 with no problems and relational issues. We're longing for healthy, perfect relationships. We're longing for this uh, idea where, where, you're, where we're going to experience this world that that we have never known before. And, and Jesus says, it's coming, it's coming. We're gonna experience it. And our hope, you see, is in a, in a person, Jesus, but our hope is, is in a place. And this place is, is, is this heaven, this eternal home that he is preparing for us right now. Our hope is in this place. Our hope is in this relationship with Jesus. And, And so, yes, comfort in Jesus. But then thirdly, the removal of all evil. So everything that sin brought into the world, that cursed the world, will be removed. The curse of the world is gone. The devil is in the lake of fire for eternity. So there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. The curse of sin is forever gone. So no storms or earthquakes or disasters or anything like that. No more hunger, no more thirst. All evil is removed. And then in verse three of chapter 22, he says, no longer where there'll be anything accursed, right? No, no curse on the world because of sin, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will Will worship him his servants will worship him and so the next thing that's going to be in heaven is incredible worship like incredible worship now worship is not just singing right and so for all the guys listen <clears throat> listen to me for a second it's not going to be like we're in a choir singing because that doesn't sound like heaven to me <laughs> I've, I've been in worship services where there's a bad choir there's bad voices and the worship pastor's proud and he gets up and he says man this is what heaven's going to be like and I'm thinking I pray to God not Because I don't want to go to this, this is not, I don't care how great a worship service we have. It's not even going to be close to heaven, not even close, right? It's not just about singing. Everything that we do is an act of worship to God. How you go to work, how you talk to your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you treat your parents is an act of worship. Every act that you and I do on this planet is an act of worship, right? We we are responding to God with the way that we talk and act and live our life out of worship or or we are dishonoring Him. And we respond to Him in worship for what He has done and what He is doing in our life and for who He is. And so this is what heaven will be like. We'll be responding to Him for what He has done, for who He is for eternity. So everything that we do will be for Him. Our work, our enjoyment, our food... Everything that we do in heaven is gonna be completely for Jesus. That's why it's heaven. We are finally in a state where we're able to do that to bring him glory and to bring him honor. It will be so fulfilling and, and, and so amazing. We can't even comprehend it. Incredible worship. So who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to go to heaven? One more verse and then we'll close. Chapter 22, verse 17. says, the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come let the one who desires take the water of life without price you see the reality is here's what you need to know every single one of you are invited to heaven you're invited to heaven and you get to decide are you going to reject jesus are you gonna are you gonna pretend and just kind of walk around like you look like a Christian and kind of dip your toe in the church from time to time and and, and lie to yourself and say, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. You going? Yeah, I'm going. I don't really know, but I think I'm going, but I don't know about you. Or you could say, oh man, great white throne judgment doesn't worry me because I know who I am in Christ. I know I've had a journey. I've, I've had a lot of ups and downs. I know I struggle with sin today, but I know one thing. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. And for that, it's nothing I have done. It is all a work of his grace and mercy in my life. And for some of you, you're just not thirsty. You're not thirsty for Jesus, that is. You're thirsty for sin. You're thirsty for your way. You're thirsty for rebellion. You hear me preach. You hear your parents talk you hear people in your life try to guide you friends and 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 you reject that that's evidence of rebellion rebellion in your life you're not thirsty for Jesus you see the gospel is that Christ died on the cross not just as a a model for you and I he died to pay for something and the payment was what you and I owed God for living a rebellious, sinful life. And God can't allow sin into heaven, so we have a problem. (laughs) We can't pay him. We can't go to heaven because of our sin. And so Jesus goes to the cross and he dies this death. And that was payment that God said, okay, that's enough. That, that, That satisfies my wrath against sin. He rose from the grave proving that he was who he said he was. And so now, if I receive him by faith, I am saying, I trust that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the payment that I need to go to heaven. So I believe he is the son of God. I believe that he is the savior of the world. And so I'm trusting my life with him. And I'm not just praying a prayer. I am changing my life to live my life for him. And that's where some of you miss it. Like, oh no, I prayed the prayer. Then you walk out the doors and Live however you want to live. You never think about him ever again. No, surrendering your life to Jesus is that we give him our life. We live for him. You think about the Christians that would have first read this in the first century when when the author John, the apostle John, wrote down this vision for us. I mean, the, the, the early Christians, they were facing persecution like we've never experienced or even heard about. The Roman emperor at that time was the mission and he was the first emperor really to create widespread persecution uh, against Christians all over the area. Um, he was taking homes away from Christians. They would just overtake them. They were sending Christians into the arena to be torn apart by animals. And he was impaling them on stakes and covering them with pitch and setting them on fire. He crucified Christians by the thousands and he just left them on the side hanging on a cross as people entered the city. John is giving them this vision of heaven. He's saying this is what is coming. This is what your future looks like. They were facing so much suffering and they faced it with such dignity and, and such grace and Poise, and, and as they faced this with, with poise, that the more they killed the Christians, the, the, the more Christianity grew. Early church father and Christian Tertullian wrote this. He said, The blood of the martyrs is like seed. The more they killed us, the more we grew. Why? Because as they were being crucified, as they were being persecuted and killed they were worshiping Jesus they were singing songs they were praying for people they were sharing the gospel they were kind-hearted and when they were crucified and they were killed everybody that was doing the killing and everybody witnessing this and watching this was was seeing the grace by which these people were were experiencing their death and they were saying man they have something that I don't have They're they're looking forward to something that I'm not looking forward to and the reality is they knew and trusted that heaven awaited them they had a living hope you see the way that you're living today is shaped by how you view your future the way that you and i live today is shaped by how we view our future life for the early christians they viewed their future in heaven and so it shaped how they face the world today You know if you believe your marriage is is only going to get worse it probably will if you think you're you know you're uh you're not going to score any points you probably won't if you think you're not going to get the promotion you are probably not going to happen the way you 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 do and if you don't live your life based on this idea that God is 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 creating in me this newness and and he's calling me to purpose then you probably won't live the life that God has called you to live there's an old story of, of of two men who were thrown into the dungeon and they had, uh, they had to suffer hard labor for 10 years. And the first man was told, just as they threw him into the dungeon, they said, sorry to tell you, but your, your wife and your children have just died. And They threw him into the dungeon. The second man, they said, right before they threw him into the dungeon, they said, hey, your wife and your kids are alive and well, and they'll be waiting for you when you get out. Well, the first year passed, and drudgery and pain and suffering the first man was depressed and the first man was, was uh, not hopeful about his future. So it was extremely difficult. And the second year came along and because he was in such desperation and his heart was so heavy, he died. The second man, hey man, he was, he was going after it, right? He, he woke up every day through the pain and the suffering and continued to press forward. And after 10 years, he walked out and embraced his wife and children. And you say, well, what's the difference? Same exact circumstances, same conditions, but the experience was totally different. The first man lost his hope. The second man had the hope of his family. Timothy Keller says it like this. He says, the now is controlled by the then. The now is controlled by the then, our future so the way you're living today is shaped by how you view your future. Do you believe that after death, you know, you just die and cease to exist? You just think it's all over. You believe that what you get in this life is all you get. Nothing happens after you die. You don't have to worry about a future judgment. So it doesn't matter how you live today. Is that what you believe? Or do you believe in the new heavens and new earth? Do you believe that judgment day is coming? Do you believe that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that everything that you do now counts towards your future? You see, those are two drastically different points of view. And those two points of view will will represent a life that is lived completely different. The gospel message is that Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, his believers win. The gospel message teaches us that yes, we will face tribulation and difficulty in this life, but we will do it with dignity and hope because he will bring us through it. He will guard us. He will protect us. And one day we will see him face to face and he will reward us with the gift of eternal life in heaven. So we're called to serve him today. We're called to share the gospel today because hell is a real place. We're called to fulfill our purpose today not to waste time because the judgment is coming and then it will be too late. And the only difference is our faith in Jesus. I just wonder if there are people in the room who after hearing this series and just living your life, the Holy Spirit has been working and working and working on you. And for whatever reason, you have just continued to sit in a state of rejection and rebellion and you have not released your faith and just given your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You should just bow your heads in the quietness of this room. Instead of leading you into prayer right now, I actually want to challenge you to do something different today. I'm going to ask you in just a minute to stand to your feet and to walk out of this room and receive one of our um, volunteers, one of our pastors who will walk with you and help you make this decision once and for all. Some of you struggle so much. Do, am I saved? Was it real? Do I know what I've done? Am I really going to heaven? And you're, you've been wrestling with this. Don't you just want to nail it down so that you can move forward by faith? Some of you just need to do that. And I'm going to challenge you to do that right now. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus. Some of you, if you were honest, you're a prodigal. Some of you maybe were in church for a while when you were a kid, but you lived however you wanted to live for however many years. And now you find yourself back, maybe you're married or maybe God just brought you here and and, uh, you're trying to figure things out. And and the reality is you've never given your life to Jesus. And the challenge for you today is once and for all to take that step of faith. So I wonder, is there anybody in this room that would say, that is me, I wanna give my life to Jesus today and if that is you i'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now anybody at all just stand to your feet praise god anybody else anybody else they're just going to stand to my feet i'm going to nail this down today praise god ma'am i want to praise god for what's about to happen into your life see my my friend back here would you just meet him and let him take you to our prayer and care room folks can we give a round of applause for the decision that this <clears throat> let me ask uh, just to continue in a state of prayer as we pray today we're going to sing a song that i know is going to bless you and so lord jesus the weight of eternity is heavy as a Christian we're excited we're hopeful we want to turn our eyes on Jesus for this hope there are some people struggling with with, with, uh, maybe a a life-threatening disease Lord, may their hope be fixed upon you would you encourage them with the future that they have in you for For others, God, we we need to feel the weight of this final judgment, that it would spur us to invite our lost friends to church. It would spur us to share our faith so that others would experience the joy that we have and the joy that is to come. And so God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. And we worship him in this moment as we fix our eyes on him.